there's a man in our church who has a brother who is suffering from Alzheimer's. They're both retired, and our church member has done some really cool things. He's been typing out stories from their childhood growing up, memorable stories, good stories, fun stories to remember, and sends them to his uh, sister-in-law, and she reads them to his brother. And I think that's outstanding. I think that's amazing. It's, it's taking responsibility for uh, your brother, for your loved one, to give them some good memories as it struggles with this, this challenging, terrible disease of Alzheimer's. Uh, I'm reminded when I was growing up as a child, my, my younger brother, Matt, is two years younger than me, and when he was learning how to talk, the only people that could understand him at first were my parents and me, and when we were out playing in the neighborhood with other kids, I was his translator. I helped him communicate with the other children until he got it all figured out, which didn't take very long, and, and I had fun doing that. I, I had fun being responsible for my brother. And as we grew up, I had some decent moments with my brother. When bullies would come, I would be responsible to help him fend those off. But I also have to be honest that, you know, growing up two years apart, we had sibling rivalry, and sometimes I wasn't responsible for my brother in ways that I should have been. I was more focused on my own selfish needs and desires and competing with him. And so sometimes I got it right, and sometimes I didn't get it right. And... If you have a brother or a sister, maybe to think back how you have treated them in the past, how you're treating them now. And uh, if you don't have a brother or sister, you think about maybe a friend or a cousin. Uh, but I've, I've really tried to be wrestling lately with this idea of what are God's expectations for us in, in terms of being responsible for the people in our lives? especially the people who are close to us. What, what does God expect of us? What, what's our level of responsibility of caring for the people in our lives? And so I'd like to explore that with you today, if, if you're willing to go on that journey with me. And I thank you for being here this morning. And I'd like to jump right into the Bible. We're going to uh, be in a couple places, different places today. We're going to start in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, with the very first family. Adam and Eve uh, have been created by God, and they've had two sons, uh, Abel and Cain. Uh, and these sons have grown up, and they have offered uh, an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. And long story short, probably something going on with Cain's heart. Maybe not been in, in the right place, and Abel's was. And so when Abel's offering was accepted by God and Cain's was rejected, uh, you can imagine the sibling rivalry that's going on in, in that family. Cain was mad. He was jealous. He was upset, and, and he wasn't going to sit still for this. And so that's where we pick up the story today with Cain and Abel. So let's look at the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 4, starting with verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. First murder, first family, first human family, first murder, coming out of sibling rivalry. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course, Cain knew where his brother was. Cain was lying to God. Right? Where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It was a rhetorical question. I'm not my brother's keeper is what Cain was saying to God. When ironically, what that really means is, I'm not responsible for my brother. I'm not his keeper, not responsible for my brother. And, and so what Cain was saying to God rhetorically was, no, it's not my responsibility to know where my brother is. When in fact, 
he was responsible for the death of his brother. Right? So Cain is getting deeper and deeper into trouble. If you want to see how that story plays out for him, you can, you can jump into the Bible later today in Genesis chapter 4. But the question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible? Am I responsible for my family? Am I responsible for my friends? Am I responsible for the people in my life? What does God expect us to do and to be when it comes to terms of responsibility for the people that God has placed in our lives? In the early 1990s, there was a popular film that, that took this phrase out of Scripture, Am I my brother's keeper? And there was a small group of people, they were in leadership positions, and they would get together to make their plans. And as part of the, the meeting together, they would have like this pep rally, and the leader would say, Am I my brother's keeper? And the rest of the people would say, Yes, I am! And, and start kind of low and build it up to, to, to where they're screaming, again, like a pep rally. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am! Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am! And, and, and just get them all fired up and pumped up. And you might think this would be a religious movie, but, but it wasn't. It, it was a movie, it was a thriller movie, an adventure movie about organized crime. And this was an organized crime group of people that sold narcotics in, illegally and killed lots of people and, and made a lot of money. And they were using a phrase from the Bible, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. They weren't blood related, but they treated each other like family. And their goal was to make as much money and to get as much power as they possibly could. But because of the business that they were in, the evil that they were involved in, it caught up to them. And they turned on one another and they killed each other. Now, if you're a student in school uh, and you're studying literature, you're studying film, you're going to recognize the concept of foreshadow. If anybody was watching this movie and had a sense of biblical history and they're quoting a brother who killed another brother, then you can probably understand what's going to happen later in the movie. So uh, foreshadowing going on here, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And they turned on one another. So I want, to, I want us to think for a minute. Who are our brothers and our sisters in life? Who are our brothers and who are our sisters? And, and what is our responsibility to them? I mean, obviously the low-hanging fruit is the people that we're blood-related to. Born in the same family, have the same parents, our brothers and sisters, that, that's obvious. Also, when we adopt people into our families that become fully fledged and, and part of our family, that happens as well. I also think that in our lives when we grow up, that we choose brothers and sisters in our lives. They might not be blood-related to us, but, but we become close friends. Uh, and they become just like brothers and sisters to us. They are our brothers and sisters in, in every way other than being blood-related. And so... Maybe just for you know, a second or two, those people come up in your mind. That, you know, this is my brother, this is my sister, right? Brother, sister from another mother, right? You might have heard that. But people that we just love, their brother and sisters, just we're not related to them. So different types of brothers and sisters in our lives. Well, I want to I explore another type of brother or sister that the Bible tells us about. And this is in the New Testament. Uh, it's in the book of Romans. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians who are living in the city of Rome. Uh, giving them some advice, and uh, check this out about thinking about who are our brothers and who are our sisters in, in life. So let's go to Paul's writing in Romans 8, starting with verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the Spirit of God that you received brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership. 
Right? When we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are adopted into God's family. Jesus is like a brother to us, right? Brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership. And by him, we cry Abba, which means daddy. Right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term of endearment, right? We can call God like daddy. We can call God mommy. We can approach God as, as if, if God is really our parent, right? Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, We're God's children when we receive Jesus, when we receive the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into the family of God. Now, that has some really good consequences with that. Let's keep going and see what those are. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. If we're God's children, then we're going to inherit from God. That's pretty special, I'm thinking, right? If if we're God's children, we're going to inherit from God. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're, We're going to inherit things just like Jesus. That's powerful. Think about that for a second. We're adopted into God's family. We're going to inherit things like Jesus. If indeed we share in his sufferings, right? It, we have to face evil in the world, and that's going to cause us some challenges. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In order that we may also share in his glory, that we can share in the glory of God. Now think about that. If we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we allow the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us, then we become children of God. We become sons of God, daughters of God because of our relationship. God reaching out to us and us accepting that relationship. And we now are children of God, which means that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have earthly families, right? We, we have friends that are like brothers and sisters to us that we choose. And, and now when we follow Jesus, we also have spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters, And I want to go back to what Pastor Lindsay said last week in her amazing sermon where she talked about neighbor. Because I think neighbor can also be substituted for brother or sister. And and she talked about how everybody that we come into contact with, God calls us to love them as we love ourselves. And so everybody that we come into contact with, in, in a sense, is our brother and our sister. And so when we think about then, what is our responsibility? If we're brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're brothers and sisters in blood, if we're brothers and sisters in friendship, if we're brothers and sisters because we're neighbors, what does God require of us? What is our responsibility? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? If I am, what does that mean? What do we need to do to to do that together? And I, I... you know, I think there's lots of things that we could say that, that we're responsible for. But let's, let's keep going with Scripture. Uh, and, and this time we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Gospel means the good news of Jesus. Luke was one of the first century disciples, and he wrote the story of Jesus. Uh, and he's going to talk to us about maybe some of our responsibility uh, with our brothers and sisters. And again, before we dive into Luke, just want to jump back into Pastor Lindsay's message from last week. If you didn't see it, I encourage you to jump on the website and go check that out. But she talked about how God says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That, that's a responsibility. That we, we love our neighbors as ourselves. We treat our, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, as we would like to be treated, right? So, so that's kind of a, a, a broad background. And I want to I focus now today, on, even, even on a, like more of a, a, a focalized lens, uh, taking this, building on what Pastor Lindsay said and looking at it in, in a fresh way through Scripture today. And I think it's just like a one-two punch. I just love how God lines things up like this. So we're going to be at the end of Jesus' life. He has been 
arrested, falsely accused, falsely convicted, uh, and now he's being crucified. He's on the cross. He's dying for you and for me so that our sins can be forgiven. And he's up there taking all of our guilt and shame upon himself when he didn't need to, but he's doing that. And on either side of him are two other crosses, one cross on either side, uh, with, with two men who've been convicted, rightly convicted of crimes. And so they're there because they deserve it. Jesus is there, but he doesn't deserve it. But let's see how Jesus treats them as brothers. Check this out. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, right, Jesus was, he was killed on this, on this hill that looked like a skull. The rock looked like a skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He didn't believe in Jesus, that Jesus was God. Misery loves company, so he's trying to make Jesus as miserable as he can. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, you're dying, and this is God right here. What what are you doing? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So I think even in the worst moment of Jesus' life, he was viewing others as important. He was viewing these two men on either side of him as his brothers. He was ready to welcome them into his family. Right? And, and the one guy got it. The other guy didn't. The one criminal rejected him. The one criminal accepted Jesus. Right? And, and he asked Jesus, can I be a part of your family? And Jesus said, absolutely. And he said, not just that, but today you can be with me in paradise. Right? When, we, when we die and these physical bodies die, you will be with me in paradise. Right? Which brings me great comfort. Right? For those of us who follow Jesus we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? We're living life to the full. We look forward to living forever in the kingdom of heaven. Right? The Bible says that, that at the end of time when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be resurrected from the dead and be given new bodies that we're going to have for eternity. And so the question in the meantime is, well, what, where do we go in the meantime? Are we just asleep in the ground somewhere? Or are we with God? I think Jesus makes it clear today. Like when we die, we will be with God in heaven. We will be with Jesus in paradise. When Jesus comes back at the end of time, then we will have our new bodies and we'll live in the new heaven and the, and the new earth. But it brings me great comfort to know that when we, when we leave this earth, we go to be with Jesus when we are his followers. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And what I think is really neat about this is, Right? Jesus shows us that it's not just about us. Right? Jesus looked beyond himself. He saw those, those criminals on either side of him as, as brothers. And that he came to save them. One rejected him and, and one accepted him. So as we think about responsibility, right, I think as we think about being responsible for our brothers and sisters, right, we're not responsible for their actions. We, we, we can't tell people what to do or we can try to tell people what to do, but they're going to do what they're going to do. Right? We, we're not responsible for what others choose to do. We are responsible whether we're a good or a bad influence, absolutely, right? Uh, we're responsible to love people, right? To treat people like we want to be treated, like Pastor Lindsay talked about last week. And today, right, I think Jesus adds to that. I think Jesus says that being responsible 
for our brothers and sisters, being responsible for our neighbors also includes inviting people into the family of God. Inviting people into the family of God. Jesus said, today you will be with me in Paris. You could be part of my family. Remember what Paul said in Romans, when we follow Jesus, when we allow the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, then we become adopted into Jesus' family. Right? And we receive, right, we're heirs, and we receive the inheritance. And so this criminal on the cross, Jesus invited him into his family, and he received the, the inheritance of paradise. Right? And so an important part of following Jesus, an important part of re- being responsible for our brothers and sisters and, and our neighbors is to invite people into the family of God. Because of the cross, we're responsible to invite people into the family of God, just as Jesus did in the worst moment of his life. So what? What's the point? What's the big idea as we think about this? Right? I think it's this. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. We're responsible for one another. We're we're responsible to love one another, and we're responsible to invite one another, to invite people into the family of God, right? Because of the cross, we're responsible to invite people into the family of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. I'm responsible to invite people into the family of God because of the cross, because people need Jesus, People need Jesus. I've been reading this um, book. It's a memoir. It's a biography of Pastor Eugene Peterson, uh, just uh, a very humble but very uh, effective pastor who reached so many people. And he wrote the message translation of the Bible, the Bible in everyday English. And uh, there's no chapters, no verse numbers. It's just like this is a story of the Bible translated uh, for us to have easier access to. And I'm reading his biography. And and I want to share a quote with you uh, because I think it applies to what we're talking about today. Uh, He says, in the very town in which I worked, there were people remembering the despair of a world disappointed in its grandest hopes. Have you ever been there? Has the world ever disappointed you, shattered your grandest hopes? Remembering the despair of a world disappointed in its grandest hopes. We've all been crushed. We've all had the world stomp on our, our hopes, stomp on our lives, cause us great suffering. And so... He says, in the town which I work, like in the town where you are, the town where I are, there are a lot of people whose lives are crushed, whose hope is crushed, whose spirit's crushed, whose relationships are crushed. So th- those folks were entering into the emptiness of death by deliberately emptying the self of illusion and indulgence and self-importance, keeping vigil for Easter, waiting for the dawn. What Pastor Peterson is saying is that is that the crushed hopes, the disappointment in the world is not the end of the story. Right? That when we're crushed, when the world's jumping up and down on top of us, right, that's not the end of the story. That, that we have something to look forward to. We have something good that is among us, as Chris said. There is something good to look forward to, and, and that's the story of Easter. Right? Jesus was on the cross. He was crushed. The, his hopes seemed crushed. The world was disappointing him and, and everything. But, but three days later, he came back to life. Right? And he defeated sin and guilt and shame and death and hell and instead gives us an opportunity for love and joy and peace and life to the full and life forever in paradise. Right? We're going to celebrate that in two short weeks. We're going to get to Easter. And, and I think that's the story of Jesus today is that we're responsible to share that good news with people. 
We're responsible to share the good news, to invite people into the family of God, to become brothers and sisters in Christ. We are responsible because of the cross to invite people into the family of God. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Don't you want to spend eternity with your children? Don't you want to spend eternity with your brothers and your sisters? Don't you want to spend eternity with your friends? Don't you want to spend eternity with your neighbors, with the people that you love and you care about? Don't you want that? That's what Jesus is saying. We want that. And if we want that, we have to be willing to share Jesus with people, to invite people into the family of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. What does that mean? I am responsible to invite people into the family of God. Just as Jesus invited the, the criminal on the cross into paradise, we have that same opportunity. So what I'd like to invite you to do to apply this in your lives is to invite someone into the family of God this week. Invite someone into the family of God this week. One of our core values of our church is relationships. And I know that you're in relationships with folks, right? And some of them are not in a relationship with God. So invite someone into the family of God. One of our core practices, one of the things that we value highly at our church is inviting people. So what does that look like? How do we invite someone into the family of God? Because if we went to someone and said, I invite you to the family of God, they're going to think we're crazy. They're going to listen to us and uh, we're going to be in more trouble than Chris's bracket. Right. So we've got to figure out a way how to invite ourselves into the family of God or to invite other people into the family of God. And so... You know, a lot of us think sometimes when we hear the word evangelism or invite people to God, we, we freak out because we don't think that we have the skills or the gifts to do that. We, we don't think that, you know, we have the skills to walk people through the, you know, the salvation story, right? Creating God's image, we've fallen away from God, uh, Jesus came to die for us so that we can be forgiven and have life to the full, and that intimidates us. I understand that. And if you're able to tell that story, that's great, but if not, there's other things that you can do. And so how do we invite people? excuse me, into the family of God. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to be praying for people. Who are the people that are in our lives who are far from God, who don't have a relationship with Christ? Is that our blood family? Is that our friends? Is it people at work, at school, people in our neighborhood, our neighbors? Who do we come into contact with who, who needs Jesus but don't have a relationship with Jesus? And we pray for them. God, open their hearts. Open their hearts to you. God, if you would, use me to be a part of the invitation process. Give me an opportunity. Give me a window. Help me know what that window is. Give me the words that I'm going to need, Lord. And so how actively are we praying for people who are far from God? Because if we're talking to God and we're opening up to the Holy Spirit, man, the Holy Spirit's going to move in us. And we're just going to know who it is. We're going to know what we need to say. Right? We might not know it until the moment, but you're, you're going to have a green light. And if you're praying and staying in touch with God, it's going to happen. And so are we praying for people to know God? Do we have a heart for people who don't know God? And I think an, an easy next step after that is, is to invite them to something that we're already doing. Right? Lindsay and Chris had some great things to invite people to. Hey, love to have your students come and play among us this afternoon. Love to have your children come and be a part of the Easter extravaganza. We're going to have food trucks and we're going to do Easter egg hunts. and We're going to do some fun stuff, right? Invite people to that. Invite people to our online Monday, Thursday service. Invite people to our online Easter services a couple of weeks away. A lot of people are, are open to checking out church on Easter, right? We, we're trying to create ways for you to, to make it easy to invite people to come and hear and experience Jesus and people who love Jesus. And so uh, 
use these gifts that we're trying to give to you, working hard to, to make it easy to invite people to come and be a part of the family of God. And so that's one thing that we can do. I, I think another thing is just be, be careful and, and, and intentional in the language that you use in your relationships. I think it can be as easy as something is, is talking about our church. Hey, I love my church because our church is doing this. It's, it's really, I'd like for you to hear about this. Or, or maybe to say, you know what, God, God's been good to me in my life. Or God's been good to me this week. And, and hopefully that's going to that's gonna pique some interest and, and open up a conversation. Well, how has God been good to you? Right? How has God been good to you in your life? How has God been good to you this week? And, and you can talk about the relationships or your job or your, your kids or these opportunities. You know, how is God working in your life? If, if we sow seeds out there, people are going to hear that and they're going to ask us questions. Right? Do people in your life, in your circles, do they know that you go to church? Do they know that you love Jesus? Do they know that, that God's at work in your life? How would they know that? And, and, to, and to pray, Lord, you know, help me put out this, this information so that people, when they're ready, will talk to me. And then you just have a conversation with them. Talk about your experience of God. You don't have to be an expert. Uh, God's working in your life. Talk about that. Right? And, and pray for those opportunities because they're going to come. Laura and my, and my son Nathan, our youngest, has made a new friend in our neighborhood. And they're becoming really good friends. And we're starting to interact with, his, with Nathan's friend's parents. And uh, in the conversation recently, uh, it came up that I'm a pastor. And uh, we go to a church. And, you know, Laura, this, Laura's having this conversation with the, the other boy's mom. And she said, hey, why don't you check us out online, right? We're doing online worship right now. You just, you know, God will give us opportunities. And just know that, that sometimes people are going to be receptive to that, sometimes they're not. And it's okay, right? You're not going to win them all. But, but remember, Jesus on the cross, right? One person said, yes, I want to be with you in paradise. And the other person, to Jesus himself, said, no thanks. In fact, mock Jesus. So if Jesus gets shot down and rejected, we're going to get shot down and rejected. Don't feel like a failure. But at the same time, Jesus reached someone, we can reach someone. So I think we, we don't want to be pushy but we do need to be persistent we don't want to force things but we need to make this a priority and so in your lives how are you inviting people to be a part of the family of God right? and with Easter coming up that's a slam dunk just hey come check out our online Easter service hey maybe you come sit in our in our living room together social distance wear our mask whatever right let's do this together I mean, think how easy it is for us to invite people to other things like Hey, come be a part of our NCAA bracket tournament, right? We're anxious to invite people to be a part of a basketball thing. Shouldn't we be anxious and excited about our faith in Jesus and what God's doing in our life? That we want our, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors to, to, to experience Jesus? Are we not as excited about Jesus as we are about NCAA basketball? I mean, what's there in the world to be more excited about than a relationship with God for those of us who follow Jesus? And so I just would encourage you to think and pray about who it is God's calling you to invite into the family. And to give you an even bigger opportunity for that, I'm excited today to tell you that this past week, our leadership team prayerfully discerned that we're ready to reopen our church to launch our new campus for in-person worship. And so, very excited about this. Our, our first Sunday of in-person worship is going to be May the 2nd. That's the first Sunday in May. We're going to welcome 50 people plus all of our, our worship staff and volunteers as a starting point for doing in-person worship. And we'll, we'll have guidelines. We'll have you know, face masks and social distancing. And we'll start with 50 and see how that goes. And we can always move up from there. 
but we're encouraged that the number uh, of COVID uh, uh, cases in Mecklenburg County is going down. The number of vaccines are going up. There's been a loosening of restrictions from the United Methodist Church, from the North Carolina government. And so we believe that after a year of being remote only that we're ready to open our new campus for public in-person worship. And we're going to make it as safe as possible. And we're going to get you tons of details. They're going to come out this Wednesday in our Wednesday email and in future email blasts, future Sunday morning announcements. We'll, we'll get it all out there. So I want you to mark your calendar. And incidentally, the first Sunday in May marks the two-year anniversary of when we broke ground on this property. And so we're excited about that. We're pumped up about it. We, you know, we're talking about can we get in for Easter, and it's just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not possible. And so we're excited to do it in, in May, right, two-year anniversary of our breaking ground. We'll be in for in-person worship in time for Mother's Day. We'll be in in-person worship in time for Pentecost, the birthday of the church in general in the book of Acts, chapter 2. So we have that to look forward to, and you have that opportunity to begin thinking about here you go, invite come and be a part of our in-person worship. And we will continue still to do live stream both of our worship services from now forward. So you'll have opportunity to do both. And to get ready for that May 2nd launch, uh, the two Sundays ahead of that, we're going to do uh, uh, kind of dry runs, right? So we're going to invite uh, smaller groups to come in on April the 18th. Uh, Sunday, April 18th, we're going to invite our leadership team, kind of be our guinea pigs, to come. And we'll have our ushers and our hospitality teams here. And we'll run through the procedures and just so we can get used to this. And, and we can figure out where we're making mistakes and where we can tweak that. And then on April 25th, we're going to open it up to 50 people from South Park Church internally. Again, so you can come and be our guinea pigs, but also worship God at the same time. It'll be real worship service um, and so we can work through the procedures, get your feedback before we open publicly uh, on May the 2nd. So we'll have a chance to grow and, and get into that. So just some great opportunities for us to invite people into the family of God through launching our in-person worship here at South Park Church, which we've been waiting so long for, and we're super excited about that. So join us in prayer for that. Also with that leadership team meeting, um, one of our, our leadership team members opened with a devotion, which we, we do every meeting, and, and the leadership team rotates who's doing that. Uh, and the devotion uh, was about um, a, a really neat thing called Gotcha Day. And what Gotcha Day is, is when a family adopts a child into their family, uh, when the child comes home to the family, that's the Gotcha Day. It's the day that we gotcha into our family. And so every year it's celebrated. It's like a birthday. And it's a really big deal and it's an awesome concept. And then, then he went on to say, I just would invite you to think about what's your spiritual gotcha day? When did you come to faith in Jesus? When did, when did Jesus get you and adopt you into the family of God like we talked about in Romans today, which Paul is writing about? What, what was your conversion? When did you come to faith in Christ? And it was beautiful to hear different members of our leadership team, the leaders of our church, talking about how they came to have faith in Jesus. And it was powerful, and it was inspiring, because who, all those who were talking, they had different stories. And it was just neat to see how God invited them into the family in different ways. But what's important, like the common denominator also, was someone else was involved in this. Right? There are other people who helped invite them into the family of God. And they didn't all start out with the whole salvation story, right? It, it was incremental. And so it, it's, it's neat to see how others played a role in leading people 
into the family of God. And so I would just ask you, when is your spiritual gotcha day? When did you become a follower of Jesus? When did you surrender to Jesus and invite him in to be your Lord and Savior? When did you start living life to the full? And celebrate that. And give God thanks for the people that invited you in, who helped lead you to Christ, who who maybe it was an invitation, or maybe it was them telling you about Christ. Maybe they 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 gave the salvation story to you. Whoever it is, whatever it is, give thanks to God. And if you've not yet received Jesus as Savior, right? Well, today could be your gotcha day to say, God. I'm tired of the world disappointing me. I'm tired of my hopes and dreams being crushed. I'm tired of living a life without you. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross and that he died and he came back to life. Come and live in me and and forgive me and and bring me life to the full. Today can be your gotcha day. And and that's my prayer for you, that Jesus stands ready to to come and live in you and to give you life to the full. and we can help you with that. If you need to reach out to us, just let us know. We can, we can help you with that. Today could be your day. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I just want to again invite you to think about who in your life needs Christ. Who needs a gotcha day, a spiritual gotcha day, to where they are welcomed into the family of God, to where they can find that their hopes that have been crushed and the disappointments that they're dealing with is not the end of the story. That Easter is ahead, that, that resurrection, that new life, that, that a fresh start is ahead. And, and, and that can only happen through a relationship with Jesus. Who are the people in your life that God's putting on your heart? That God says, I know that you have a heart for them and you know that they're far from me. And I want to use you to invite them and welcome them into the family of God. And maybe it's through your testimony. Maybe it's through the words that you say. Maybe it's through an invitation. Maybe it's through just being a, a good friend and neighbor to them. And when they ask you why you're doing these things, it will give you the opportunity to say, because Jesus loves you. Right? Who is it in your life who needs a spiritual gotcha day? Who is it in your life who needs to be adopted into the family of God? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. Because of the cross, we are called to invite people to be in the life of of the family of God. Because of the cross, we are responsible to invite people into the family of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.